Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. Like advertised, this is Judge Jim Gray back with you again for another segment of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Talking about libertarian values, talking about rolling up your sleeves, taking responsibility for your actions and yourself, uh, financial, social, and otherwise. And employing those libertarian values is, is what, we, what we certainly uh, talk about here on All Rise. And it works. You know, I wish that the the community of, of uh, being a victim would work, but it just doesn't. It, it just doesn't doesn't get us anywhere. Reliance on the government just just is a one end, uh, one way street in the wrong direction from my standpoint. So we have a special guest today. We have amazing guests on All Rise, and this one fills that bill as well. It's Dr. Farishtel Bethel, and she is of the Baha'i faith, and we'll spent a lot of time here talking about the Baha'i faith and, and as well as other things, but I researched it. I'm going to be learning right along with the rest of you. Uh, I met her because she is one of our authors on Project Understanding, and here on All Rise, we've had several of our other authors, uh, uh, Dr. Siddiqui, we've had Gail Stern, we've had quite a few, Dave Householder, but but she is one of those authors, and go to, it's www.projectunderstanding.com, P-R-O hyphen J-E-C-T, understanding.com. And there we focus on the commonalities of the various religions of the world. We all know there's differences. Okay, yes, and they're touted a great deal, but there are enormous commonalities as well. Go to projectunderstanding.com, see Dr. Bethel's uh, uh, essay there. It's really, truly interesting. I read it again just a few days ago. But uh, So that's how I met her. Uh, and uh, so, Doctor, welcome to All Rise. And please give us a little, fill in a little background about yourself. I know that you came over from Iran, or as you say, Persia. Uh, but uh, just tell us a little bit about your schooling, past activities. Who is Dr. Ferstel Bethel? And welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Greetings to all the respected listeners of your program, Judge Gray. And thanks for having invited me to be your guest today. Uh, sharing a little bit about my background, uh, you asked for schooling, perhaps, what my schooling background has been. So I'm going to go ahead and start with that. As to my schooling, I have a Ph.D. degree in psychology. Uh, the doctoral dissertation was written on the psychology of martyrdom. Uh, and I also have an MS in education and a BA degree in comparative history of culture. Uh, the bachelor's program was pursued mm. at a Christian college where studying the Bible was part of the academic curriculum. I have also earned a license in clinical psychology and have practiced it for several years. Uh, Career-wise, <clears throat> Excuse me. Career-wise, my love and interest have predominantly been in the academics area. 
Uh, for 22 years, I taught psychology, lifespan, human development, and education courses at California State University, where some years ago they held a national women's conference, and I made a research presentation on what the holy books of Abrahamic religions say about women, their mm. roles, rights, and status and opportunities. Mm. Uh, I have also traveled to four different countries, uh, continents of the world, and have been a guest speaker in different settings and on numerous different topics of psychosocial origin and religious topics, uh, especially on spirituality, uh, gender issues, race relations, and how to achieve world peace. Well, that ought to take a little bit of time and effort to achieve a world peace. But uh, I know that you are of the Baha'i faith and, and, and bless you literally and figuratively for that. But as I understand it, and I may, I may botch this name, but the Baha'i faith is a religion that was founded by Baha'u'llah in the 19th century in Persia, what is now Iran, emphasizing the spiritual unity of all mankind. Let me again say, emphasizing the spiritual unity of all mankind. And there are about 6 million Baha'is in more than 200 countries and territories around the world. First of all, is that a fairly accurate statement, Dr. Bethel? And uh, what led you into the Baha'i faith? It's quite accurate what you said. I was born into a Baha'i family. This was back in Tehran, Iran. And, uh, but being born into a Baha'i family should not actually determine your uh, destiny in religious belief. Uh, one of the main principles of the Baha'i faith is independent investigation of truth or, or search for truth, uh, which means parents are supposed to facilitate the space and the opportunities for their kids to progressively become acquainted with the essentials of major world re religions. So as they mature, they will have the chance to choose or accept any one of them or all of them in the form of progressive revelation and see their oneness or maybe even reject all of them. So the choice should be given to the individual as, of course, they mature. They are raised with certain principles, which are very holistic and all uh, comprehensive. Now, I mentioned the word progressive revelation uh, that is taught to the child. It's meant that from the beginning of time, God has progressively sent his messengers or mouthpiece or intermediaries to guide man at man's level or stage of intellectual understanding, spiritual, and social development. For instance, our capacity for understanding spiritual and social truths at the tribal times of Moses were different than the city-state times of Christ. That is why he came to fulfill by explaining further truth. And likewise, our access to information and level of knowledge and education in this day and age are very different than they were at the time of Krishna Buddha, Zoroaster, 
Christ or Muhammad were technically everyone except for a few were illiterate. And those few were predominantly the learned men, some philosophers, or some members of the clergy. Uh, For instance, about 200 years ago, only about 12% of the global population could read and write. This was 200 years ago, but uh, 1820. Whereas in 2016, that figure was reversed to 14% who could not read and write. Mm. So in other words, 12% were literate in 1820, and then 200 years later, roughly, which actually now would be probably uh, 13 or maybe 12% who cannot read or write. So it has reversed from how many could read and write and how many cannot be, and it's about the same. So in other words, we could say that uh, right now, probably about 88% or 89% of the population is literate. And, and this has been, and this is of the global population. So this fact collectively expands human capacity for learning and acquiring knowledge. This is why, according to the Baha'i belief, God progressively sends his manifestations, those who manifest the names and the attributes of God or the prophets, to guide man, because they have higher capacity for understanding the spiritual truth. Therefore, being a Baha'i essentially means that I accept and regard all the founders of the major world religions as one in reality, and consider them equal on the same plane, but different in the intensity of the revelation or message because of the capacity of their audience. Mm. And if humanity had collectively acquired the cumulative knowledge from the founders of all of these world religions, we would be a lot further ahead in our spiritual, moral, and humanitarian understanding of love and unity and have a lot healthier and more all-embracing attitude towards our oneness. So aside from the initial upbringing in the Baha'i community, it was its progressive nature and all-embracing attitude that kept me in it and at one with the entire human race. Well, indeed. And that is, so we're all in the same boat is a colloquial way of saying this, but we're all in effect uh, God's children. And uh, uh, you you really got my attention because the Baha'i faith is the opposite then of indoctrination. No, you're, you're, you're taught from birth to investigate to have choices, to make decisions, to accept or reject. And that's the opposite of indoctrination. And, and that's just inspiring. Uh, am, am I correct on that? Yes, you are. You are. It's very true. So, so tell, us, tell us about, you, you explained around the Baha'i faith and, and where you go and the unifications. Uh, tell us more about the Baha'i faith. Uh, it was founded... It's been around for, uh, 
what, since the 19th century, so the 1800s or so, uh, your, your doctrines, what, what, are your, what are your sacred books that you look at and read? And, and just tell us a little bit more, please, Dr. Bethel. Sure. Baha'i faith is the youngest major world religion. Its inception was May 22, 1844, two hours and 11 minutes past sunset. Mm. In others, it's very specific regarding the date and the time. So May the 22nd, 1844, in Shiraz, which is located in the southern parts of Persia, now called Iran. A young man who assumed the title of the Bob, Bob here is spelled B-A-B, which in Arabic means the gate, G-A-T-E, gate. He declared himself at the age of 25 as the promised one of the Shiite Muslims who were waiting for the Qa'im, which means he who shall rise, to come and eventually he announced that he was the forerunner of one greater than himself, very similar to John the Baptist in relation to Christ, who came to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. He essentially, the Bab, B-A-B, he essentially said that him whom God shall make manifest will be the promised one of all ages, who will appear in 19 years from then, then being 1844, which would make it 1863. Based on the Islamic theological prophecies, some Muslims were looking for his coming and were seeking him on their own accord. Eighteen of them of whom one was a highly accomplished woman, found him through dreams, visions, soul-searching processes, or tracing the prophecies through personal investigation and or what had been explained and taught to them by their two great Muslim teachers in Iraq. Iraq is western, west of Iran. All of the first 18 believers, except for one who was of Indian roots and went back to India to teach the new faith, plus several thousand additional believers, were martyrs by not recanting their faith and belief in the Bab and his teachings. He uh, revealed numerous tablets and books on varied theological subjects. So it's not just one book, although his most important book is called the Bayan, B-A-Y-A-N. And he explained the meaning of different religious symbols and metaphors of previous religions, one of which you could probably see it's in the area of resurrection, that true resurrection is not that of the body, Rather, it is that of the spirit, the mind, and the enlightenment of the soul. Is that uh, similar to Buddhism? Is, is that a similar uh, that concept in Buddhism? Correct. Actually, there is something from Paul, too. 
uh, in the Corinthians, uh, when he addressed the epistle to uh, the Corinthians, where he does talk about true resurrection being that of spiritual nature. But somehow we have left that on the back burner. His ministry was short, just like that of Christ, about six plus years. That's the ministry of the Bob. The Islamic clergy rose against him, and in order to quiet him down, the uproar and the commotion that had caused numerous Muslims, some of high clerical status, entered this new faith. He was exiled to the northwestern parts of Persia and was eventually sentenced to death in 1850 and was martyred by the bullets of some three regiments of Muslim soldiers. Some years ago, my husband and I had the opportunity of visiting that barracks square to take some pictures. It is located in Tabriz, northwestern parts of Iran. On that occasion, I experienced something very unique. A Muslim man came to me and quietly asked me if I'm a Baha'i, to which I responded yes. Then he pointed out to me a place to sit down and explained to me that his grandfather had told him that he was an eyewitness to the martyrdom of a number of Baha'is in that area. And then the way that he explained it, he said candles had literally been placed in the holes that had been cut in their bodies and had them dance while the candles were burning their flesh. Good gracious they would not recant their faith in the bomb. And of course, all of these atrocities, persecutions and executions, caused the new faith to take off very rapidly, and many entered it and made great sacrifices upon whose shoulders we all now stand. Mm. One of the followers of the Bob was living in Tehran, he came from a well-to-do family in the ministry of the Shah of Persia with great future prospects in position and power. He was looked upon by some of the Baha'i, by some of the Babis as a leader, since many of them were attracted to him and were seeking his company for knowledge and guidance. The Persian government decided to imprison him in a place called the Black Pit with foul odor in the center of Tehran with a number of bobbies, thieves, assassins, murderers, and others. Gee, my goodness. It was, it was huh. there in 1853 that he received his first intimation from God that he was endowed with a great mission. After the confinement, the government decided to exile him to Iraq. Mm. He and his family and some of his followers faced severe hardship of the travel in the middle of the cold winter 
with snow while being exiled to Iraq, where he stayed for 10 years. Goodness gracious. Since the governments of the time, of which one was the Ottoman Empire of Turkey, along with the uh, government of Persia, they could not stop the flow of visitors to his house under confinement, they decided to exile him again, this time to Turkey. Well, that also turned out to be the fulfillment of the 19th year after the declaration of the Bab in 1863. He, whom the Bab had foretold his coming and died in preparation of his mission, publicly declared his mission to his companions at the end of his exile in Iraq in a garden in the outskirts of the city of Baghdad, which they stayed for 12 days. His name, the founder of the Baha'i faith, is Baha'u'llah, which in Arabic means the glory of God. After his public declaration of his mission, he and his companions were again exiled in the middle of the hardship of the travel, usually on donkeys where they traveled, to Constantinople, then Adrianople. Sometimes horses were used to. And the, uh, Constantinople and uh, Adrianople are both located in Turkey. And finally, he was exiled to the penal colony of Akka, which at that time was called Acre, Palestine, which is now known as Akka in Israel. For those who may be interested in biblical prophecies, his confinement could well be taken as the one that refers to the promised one going through the fortified cities and entering the Holy Land via the east, the gate of the east. Gate could symbolically refer to the Bab. Mm. But anyway, Iran, Persia, being in the east of Israel, that's where he was confined and sent to. He was what? a prolific writer, revealed well nigh a hundred volumes of books, on many different theological, social, and moral topics that humanity is concerned with. Mm. And some of his main principles are, <clears throat> the number one, oneness and supremacy of an unknowable essence, referred to as God. He said that the essence is unknown, but the attributes are manifested throughout the universe universe as well as in the mouthpiece or the manifestations or the prophets that he chooses to send to humanity. He also talked about the essential oneness of religion. There is but one religion, he says, that is progressively revealed by God. And this is why when I wrote my uh, uh, essay, that short essay, I focused on uh, many chapters, but one eternal book. It was really inspired by this statement from Baha'u'llah, which is, is there is one religion that is progressively 
revealed by God. There are many chapters, but one eternal book. And also, uh, he talks about the oneness of man or humanity. That's really the essence. He says, uh, essentially, he says that if we realize that um, our problems, many of them will be solved, that we will understand that there is one human being with all its beautiful diversity. Well, I guess that also, certainly means, Doctor. Another thing he <laughs> emphasizes, which is very important, is the independent investigation or search for truth. He abolished the institution of priesthood and clergy. Now, that, that's very unique in this revelation. He abolished the institution of priesthood and clergy. Instead, he established elected governing bodies for running the affairs of the community at the local and international level. Mm. They're all elected by secret ballots. Even husband and wife should not discuss the names or know who they're voting for, so that they will not be influenced by the vote of each other or anyone else for that matter. Mm. Hence, there is no electioneering in the Baha'i electoral process. Uh, we need to become acquainted with the sincerity, the devotion, and the character of, the, of one another, and uh, make sure that the person that we elect has a well-trained mind, is active in community, then after our full independent search, and through prayers and meditation, decide who is qualified to serve on these institutions that have been established by the pen of the prophet founder of the religion, technically for the first time in the history of religion. My goodness. Dr. Bethel, I, I, I wanted to go through lots of things with our talk together about the commonalities among the world's religions. Now, you have certainly placed the Baha'i faith at the center of that, and that's just, that's the foundation, as I understand it, for uh, for the Baha'i faith. Uh, the idea that you must have, pursue independent investigation uh, and not to be, in effect, misled by even your spouse or your, or your parents and the rest. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We'll come back after these messages, brief messages, and pursue this. I also would like to talk about your 1984 doctoral dissertation. You called it Psychology of Theory of Martyrdom, which sounds intriguing, but uh, we'd like to come back after these messages and continue this really interesting discussion with Dr. Freshtel. Bethel of the Baha'i Faith, as well as PhD in psychology. She's got all the credentials. She's got all the information. I've been taking a lot of notes, but let's hear these, hear these short messages, and then we'll come back right after that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. After hearing those messages, we are here with our esteemed guest to talk about a scholar, talk about someone that merits someone listening to them. I'm taking notes feverishly. It's Dr. Ferstel, F-E-R-E-S-H-T-E-L, Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L. She is of the Baha'i faith, a schooled psychologist, a teacher, educator. Uh, She's got all the credentials, and she's been edifying us, telling us about the Baha'i faith. What does the word Baha'i mean, or where does that come from, Dr. Bethel? Uh, The word Baha means light or glory. So Baha'i technically is a follower of light. And light in this case doesn't mean a physical light in the sky or in our our lamps in the house, but essentially it means the light of knowledge, the light of understanding, the light of enlightenment, the light of uh, the love of God, being connected to God, and uh, being enlightened through this healing message of Baha'u'llah and all the prophets of God that have come before him. So we were talking about what the Baha'i faith uh, is all about. Of course, I can't tell you all about, but there are a few other principles that I would like to mention. Uh, One is that uh, Baha'u'llah emphasizes that all forms of prejudices, whether they're racial, ethnic, religious, gender, or otherwise, must be abolished. We have to diligently work on their reduction and God willing, their elimination, because there are very uh, great barriers to our progress and human oneness. Uh, also, he emphasizes equal rights and opportunities for women and men. Uh, about a century and a half ago, the Baha'i writings guided us that men and women are equal in the right, uh, I'm sorry, are equal in the sight of God and that there is no distinction to be made between them. The only difference between them now is due to lack of education and training. And this was about 150 years ago, roughly, this statement was said. So uh, that's what has held us women back. Give us the opportunity, and we will be like the two wings of a bird, as you strengthen the, both wings, the bird can fly smoothly. 
Uh, of another teaching of the faith, a principle, which is very important uh, in order to bring about world peace, is extremes of wealth and abject poverty must be done away with. Uh, he says, through a graduated income tax, that would be one approach. Another one, profit sharing. I'm not sure if everyone uh, may quite know what profit sharing is about. This is usually when the company decides to share its profit to some extent with the employees, which will also encourage them to work harder, to be more dedicated, and there would be more uh, even distribution of wealth. But that doesn't mean that the person who initially invested the money is not get, going to get a bigger chunk. It's just trying to make life easier for everyone so that they're also more connected to their work by the reward that they get. Uh, now, it, it creates also a more balanced society. Extreme wealth will not be in the possession of a few if this is done, also with the graduated income tax, uh, because uh, oftentimes we have seen this throughout history when you pass on your uh, wealth to uh, your offspring, which is, which is within uh, everyone's right. But uh, we have created these blind trusts to pass on the wealth from one generation to another to another for many generations to come, which oftentimes ends up spoiling the receiver, at least based on my psychological knowledge of, uh, of handouts and giving you know, uh, money to kids and oftentimes not having been disciplined about how to handle the money and so on. Uh, so it creates actually extreme of wealth and which are associated with systemic evils and, uh, and all the other associated features uh, for the lo large, large segment of society. So that's one that really needs to be attended to if we want to bring world peace and harmony and unity amongst mm. man. Another one is harmony of science and religion. Uh, according to the Baha'i writings, religion must be logical and make sense and not be superstitious and just make belief. It is, yes, spiritually, it is, yes, connected to the Lord, to God, and the unknowable essence and reality of that supreme being. Nonetheless, if this God is the creator of the entire universe, then he must be a pretty logical God, so he cannot give something that is illogical and doesn't make sense. So that, that's where it's highly emphasized. And also compulsory education. That means all children of the world must have equal access to a universal curriculum. This will help with the unity of thought through the contributions of the diversity of the human race to education. It can be very beneficial this way. A child only uh, in the vicinity of Harvard will not get a more advanced education, and one in the Amazon uh, get very limited education, and then disparities will continue on, misunderstandings will continue on. A lot of harm will be done. So the foundation should be right, and it starts with our kids. 
Another thing is Baha'u'llah also uh, talked about an establishment of an international tribunal, a world court. So Mm. it's it's very global in perspective. And remember, this all started in 1844. And, uh, And he also discourages us from getting involved in party politics that are divisive and hurt man more than helping. Although diversity of opinions and perspectives are highly encouraged, that's why he refers to unity in diversity and not unity in uniformity. But we should not participate in things that divide us, create animosity and hatred in our hearts, and always blaming others and considering ourselves or our platform right and others wrong. That's very divisive. Uh, Baha'i teachings are also focused on world peace, as I mentioned. And if you really pay close attention to uh, the principles that were just mentioned, uh, they work as a prerequisite to world peace. You cannot have world peace when uh, women are uh, making half uh, the amount of men or they're not able to function or produce uh, their intellectual uh, or or put their intellectual capacities into work. You have to have a degree of uh, equality in rights and opportunities for both genders and also collectively for the entire human race in order to be moving towards world peace. Uh, One thing that Baha'u'llah suggests is, he says, either you would have to go through a lot of hardship, many wars, we have had two of them, uh, I mean, uh, world wars, and we can have another one, which would be very destructive, and then uh, come to come down to our knees and then look for a better solution for peace. Or the other one that he suggests is an act of consultative will through international dialogue and a world conclave to be held for leaders of all countries and nations of the world, coming together, looking genuinely and wholeheartedly for global peace by considering the barriers to world peace and then working together to remove those barriers, which we did actually, if I'm not mistaken, in the year 2000, turn of the century or millennium, we did have a conclave in New York where leaders of different countries came together. It was a very good starting point, but it's not the end. Also, Religious leaders are encouraged to come together and see what the barriers, the religious barriers are to that oneness or the commonality of religion in well, essence and substance. Dr. Bethel, this, also, sounds like, this sounds like the most comprehensive approach to religion I've ever encountered, that it's, it's kind of soup to nuts. It goes through pretty much everything scientific, religious, uh, humanity of man, it's intellectual, it's practical. Uh, where, where does the Baha'i stand with regard to pacifism? I mean, would they be, would they, if, if they were attacked, would they be able to defend themselves in there with that uh, religion, or, or are they more pacifistic? No. 
And actually, Baha'i is not a pacifist. A Baha'i works through peaceful solutions, solutions that can be tested, or suggestions or principles that can be tested to see whether they work or not. They can be tested scientifically to see how much good they can bring to different groups. And they are not pacifists by all means. They're actually very active. Uh, they realize that uh, justice is a prerequisite to unity, and unity is a prerequisite to world peace. So we must come together. And they start oftentimes right in the neighborhood where uh, people, and they don't have to become Baha'is, these people. They can come together and find out what is the best approach to raise their kids in this day and age sure. so that they would be concerned with the needs of the day and work out solutions that are productive and healthy for the development of not only the neighborhood, but also the community and then the city, and gradually all of these things expand and they become global in perspective. Sure. You know, the, the UCLA, I'm a, I'm a Bruin. I went to UCLA and proud of it, but uh, during the Coach Johnny Wooden era, but one time he said that ignorance creates walls between us. Ignorance creates walls between us. Uh, I think that your Baha'i faith would certainly agree with that and you're actively countering it, but how, how can we... How can we break down those walls? When, uh, it, it was appalling to me after 9-11 of 2001, September 11th, where our government and many of our people here in our country reacted against Muslims, basically considering them almost automatically to be terrorists unless shown otherwise. Uh, how, can we, how can we grapple with such fear, with such lack of an educated response? Uh, it's, it's in the world. It's real. How, how can we... How can we counter something like that? You know, I'm used to scapegoating being used back in Iran. You know, whenever the going gets <laughs> rough or the government <laughs> runs into difficulty, they put the blame on the Baha'i. So the Baha'i faith has been persecuted in Iran ever since its inception. It just has had its ups and downs. After all, this faith has given more than 20,000 martyrs. Martyr comes from the word martyrios, which means... He will not deny his, uh, his he, he witnesses to the truth and validity of a certain cause that will bring good to humanity and will not deny it under pressure. So scapegoating is used in many countries. It's a form of distraction from the actual problems, from the poor policies and whatever else that may be around. And oftentimes uh, politicians use it. And unfortunately, I've also noticed that a lot of times members of the clergy of religion use it too in order to alienate people from even looking into that faith or embracing it or, or, or whatever that would influence them to think better. And so they continue on uh, in, in uh, alienating people and then by calling them, uh, for instance, uh, being terrorists. No, Muslims are not terrorists. Uh, uh, made less than 1%, uh, even, you would not even call it a, a group of terrorists, but there are definitely some who have been influenced, and we should also ask the questions of who gives them the armament, provides them the armament by which 
uh, to terrorize people, and what are the goals of uh, this uh, terroring uh, approach? And it's not a solution to a problem, but it only creates more hatred, and so uh, that's something that through human interaction, through coming together, we will find out that Muslims are not terrorists, and most of them are very uh, good people. Um, but there are always a few bad apples in every group, but how they get there is another way to approach, and they are humans, too, that need to be helped and, and uh, to be guided if they have gone the wrong way. Well, you and I, again, we met because of our Project Understanding project, and, and thank you for being here writing and one of our authors. Um, people can get more information there, www.projectunderstanding.com with the P-R-O hyphen J-E-C-T. But where can people get go on the internet or otherwise to get more information about the Baha'i beliefs, Dr. Bethel? Well, probably the easiest one would be uh, Baha'i.org, uh, B-A, B as in boy, A, H as in hat, A-I, Baha'i.org, O-R-G. That should give you some of the essentials, and of course there are plenty of books that people can read by checking their local communities, uh, just to look up on the Internet what the uh, phone number or the address of the local community is by which, Good. by which they can reach out and investigate. The information yeah. is all over. And you have community meetings uh, really all around. I I've been to several, actually, at, Dor at uh, Dean Dorothy Nelson's house or Judge Dorothy Nelson's house. But uh, there, are, there are meetings going on uh, about the commonalities, about peace, uh, really, in, in pretty much every community. Are there not, Dr. Bethel? Uh, that is true. Baha'i faith is a global faith, and you're going to find meetings held at least once every 19 days, at least, because that's we're, uh, we're told to gather together every 19 days by the Prophet Founder. And besides that, we, are, uh, uh, we have all other types of meetings and activities, and more importantly, activities that are going on within neighborhoods by helping the development, spiritual, moral uh, perspectives of our children from childhood so that animosities, hatred, prejudices will not develop in them at an early stage and realize that uh, it's, uh, the very important stages are those early stages. So we have gatherings for children called children's classes, and the teachers are not necessarily all Baha'is. We have all kinds from different backgrounds coming together. Also, we have a preschool. Uh, I'm sorry, we have... Uh, uh, children's classes and, and uh, pre-youth classes and youth classes. A lot of times youth teach the pre-youth, and they become animators in the form of art to express a lot of uh, spiritual truths and realities. So we have uh, all of these, and for adults to learn more about is all about, and that religion is for the purpose of bringing order to the world, not disorder. So it should not be used as a cause of disorder, of abuse. Religion should not be used as a weapon for our personal goals. 
and hurt others. It is a unifying force, and collectively, we should look at all of them and see their oneness in their essentials of one God, the intermediary in between God and humanity, or the messenger, and the te- uh, beautiful teachings that progressively become more and more universal as we humans are becoming more and more universal. You said something a minute ago, religion should not be used for private purposes. Is that, is that what you said? Yes, it should not be used as a weapon. A lot of times we weaponize religions because religion can actually become a very dangerous weapon. The reason for that is because it has a lot to do with our emotions, thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and they are very powerful. Yes, and if the clergy or the government tries to use the people, uh, in order to pa- tap into their emotions against others, it can be very divisive and harmful, probably more dangerous than many other uh, well, ways uh, that huh. people have lived. I'm afraid that's proved with regularity. But before we, we're done and we're winding down with regard to our hour, Dr. Bethel, uh, let's tell us, if you will, just in a, in a few minutes, your eight, 1984 doctoral dissertation, Psychology of Theory of Martyrdom. Uh, in the an edited version. Uh, what, what, what is your thesis there? Uh, it was called a psychological theory of martyrdom, and that was when Baha'is were being killed for not recanting their faith in Iran. That started in 1979 with the Islamic Revolution, and it went on for several years. And that was the time that I was a student and the professor in class said, you need to write about something that no one else has written before. You need to do your research on a topic that has not been done exactly uh, in that area. And so I wasn't sure exactly what to do till I went to a meeting and I heard a beautiful letter that one of the martyrs of Iran, a woman, a physicist, by the way, by the name of Jinus Mahmoudi, she had written to her children, and that letter moved me. And I got that letter and hold of that letter and took it to my professor. And I said, can I do a study on this? He said, well, you cannot do it on just one letter, but why don't you go get more personal documents of these individuals that they have written and do your research, mm. which started my search. I was able to collect many from different martyrs, Baha'i martyrs of Iran, and did my study on that. And what I essentially found was their belief and their attitude and the fact that they had accepted the teachings of Baha'u'llah for this day and age in order for them to be unified with the entire human world. It was to not recant their faith because they had a higher purpose, and religion was not just a convenience momentarily when everything is rosy and goes well to keep it, rather to use it when it's not that convenient in order to stand for your uh, convictions, your belief, because you believe that those teachings will bring good to humanity. That's why they did not recant, and many of them were highly educated, college-educated, world travelers, doctors, lawyers, 
who, did, who were serving on the Baha'i institutions of Iran, and they were uh, taken into prison, and they would put a lot of pressure on them, and actually from those institutions, to the best of my information, none of them recanted. And they all died for what they believed in because they believed it was going to bring good to humanity. Okay. Well, that, it's a, so there was their choice. They could recant their beliefs and live or not recant and be executed. That would that call martyrdom. That, that's called very martyrdom. And, uh, I, I yes. hope I'd be able to, to pass that test. Uh, in some ways, you know, you'd be able better to, uh, well, you don't want to be a hypocrite if you're going to. You, you, but but that, that's a sobering thought, a sobering thought indeed. Uh, so we just have, what, another three or four minutes, uh, Doctor. Uh, thank you for being with us. Again, if people want more information, this has been a chock-full hour of information, and I've been taking notes all over my pages, but uh, you can go to Baha'i.org, B-A-H-A-I. Uh, I called it uh, Bravo Alpha Hotel Alpha India instead of hat. I say hotel, but I was in the Navy. But at any rate, there's there's more information there. Uh, if uh, ha if someone wanted to locate a gathering in their local community, because we are here all around the country and all around the world, uh, how could they find that gathering, Dr. Bethel? Well, perhaps uh, the best source would be this Baha'i.org. They go there, and I believe there is a link where they can find to their own city good. or their own location. Good, good. That would, that would work. So you're not a political philosophy. You do not elect various political officers. Uh, in fact, you uh, don't even talk to each other maybe about who you should elect for, for whatever, I'm assuming. But, but it is a really intellectual, practical, dedicated religion and a religion of one, uh, we talk about project understanding and the commonalities. I think the definition of that, Dr. Bethel, is the Baha'i faith, is, is what exactly you're talking about, that we're all one God, and uh, justice is a prerequisite for world peace, which it certainly is. That, that's where I fit into this. I'm in the responsibility business, in the justice business. I can also tell you, Doctor, that we as judges had two mandates, two responsibilities, and one was to do justice under the facts and the law of, and our, of the case and our, and our ethics. But the second was equally important, and I think that's what you're talking about, to have anyone who cares believe that justice is done. Because I could say, you know, I, you lose because I say so, and I could be completely right, but that's not satisfying, will not bring justice, will not bring peace. So you and the Baha'i faith are bringing peace. Uh, get busy, keep working harder. We need you is kind of what I would leave you with. But thank you for sharing these thoughts with us. Thank you for what you do. Uh, thank you for uh, being involved in one of our authors on Project Understanding. And we just deeply appreciate your commitment and, and your success and, and you as well as sharing the Baha'i beliefs with us today. So that's where we are with All Rise. If we do share these commonalities, we do share these libertarian principles of responsibility, dedication, uh, justice, uh, that sort of thing, equal opportunities. Yes, women and men are equals. Uh, okay, for a while there was the only distinction, a lack of education, and we're overcoming that. We're in the process of overcoming many of these things with all of the help of good people like Dr. Bethel. So thank you again. Be with us again next week when we have another exciting guest. We 
we certainly seem to come up with some really, really interesting people. And join us again or on demand anytime. In the meantime, this is Judge Gray signing off, as I always do, by saying, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.